0: In general, I try to focus on timeless topics on this podcast, what marketers refer to as evergreen content. For example, my episode about Brandon Sanderson's writing method to restfully write multiple books a year should be as relevant in 10 years as it was two weeks ago. But every once in a while, once of perhaps every year, year and a half, I like to delve into current events and talk about how they could and will impact authors. So, in these days of wars, rumors of wars, spy balloons, and pandemics, what will the impact on publishing be? We'll find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Tom Sumstat Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a living writing books worth talking about. And I should say I used to host a drive-time news radio show where I analyzed and discussed the news. And I also spend an embarrassing amount of time studying history. As anyone who's talked to me has realized, pretty soon I start talking about ancient, dead people. (laughs) So sometimes I just need to share what I'm seeing. So brace yourself, because boy howdy, this is going to be an episode. So historically, the Four Horsemen, also known as the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse have ridden together. And I suspect this is because they cause each other. Each one of the horsemen can cause the other horsemen. So for example, war can cause famine. Uh, It also causes plague and both of those lead to death. Or a plague could cause death, which leads to famine, which then leads to a war as people fight over what little food remains. And you can look throughout history and see any one of the horsemen triggering the other three. So far in the last couple of years, we've had the COVID pandemic. Pandemic is the modern term for plague. We've also had COVID death uh, to a lesser degree. The war horse has visited Europe, as you know, and there are indications that it may visit Asia next. And famine has already visited Africa. And it's also right here at home once you realize that supply chain issues is a modern term for what the ancients would have called famine. An egg famine and egg supply chain issues both mean fewer, more expensive eggs. Most people survive famines. It's not that there's no food in a famine. That's a, a misnomer. There's still food in a famine. It's just more expensive. So another word for famine could be inflation. So let's translate the four horsemen into modern language. So famine is inflation. Plague is pandemic. Death is population decline and war. War never changes. This translation guide allows us to learn from our ancestors who lived through the same kinds of times we're living through now. And I'll say every time I hear a politician or a media personality use the word unprecedented, I roll my eyes. (laughs) As I think of two or three times in history that this has happened before that I can think of just off the top of my head. The events that we're living through are only unprecedented if you don't know your history. There's nothing new under the sun. Now, another misconception about tough times in the past is that we often overestimate how intense it was. You know, we assume that there was no food at all during the famine. And we also underestimate how long it took to get through. So typically, tough times are less intense and longer than you think. Everyone thinks the troops will be home by Christmas. And they're disappointed every December. We want to think that the next harvest will restore the food supply. And for some reason, food prices are still high. And I will say that the writing of books continues during tough times. Famously, Florence Vellini kept writing during the Black Death. He wrote to the very end, dying mid-sentence in his book. But more often than not, it's times of suffering that give birth to enduring works of literature. C.S. Lewis's most famous works were written during or shortly after World War II. In fact, one of his books was read over the air by him over BBC radio stations during the Blitz. So as bombs were falling on London, the residents of London were being comforted by C.S. Lewis and by his writing. Victor Hugo wrote Les Miserables after living through the very riots he described in the book. And Frankenstein was famously written during The Year Without a Summer which was a massive global climate event that darkened the skies with a winter that lasted all year round. And the result of that winter was global famines and civil unrest, and yes, all four horsemen. And if you don't know about the year without a summer, you really are missing out on some exciting times that our ancestors lived through. Storytellers help get us through difficult times. Their tales of dragons remind us that dragons can be defeated. Their tales of suffering remind us that pain can be endured. And these are reminders we all need to remember when the nights are long, death walks the streets, and enemies gather over the horizon. So, as a writer, what you do is vital. Remember, the pen is mightier than the sword, but your pen may be at risk. So let me explain. Yes, we're going to be talking about supply chains. (laughs) 90% of high-end computer chips are created in Taiwan. These are the kinds of chips that go into cell phones and laptops. So the chips are made in Taiwan, but the phones themselves are not assembled in Taiwan. The phones are assembled in China. China and Taiwan are the two countries most likely to go to war. They're also the two countries that must work together for nearly all smartphones to exist. And also most laptops <laughs> so remember when no one could buy a new car because of the chip shortage those were mostly basic 80 nanometer chips that can be made in fabs around the world so now imagine how much worse it would be for a smartphone a device full of three nanometer and five nanometer chips that currently can only be made in taiwan in fact only in one or two factories in taiwan are the only ones advanced enough to make the A13 Bionic chip that the iPhone uses. So that iPhone in your pocket may have been designed in California, but it was assembled by Foxconn in China using chips made by TSMC in Taiwan. And if there were a war between China and Taiwan, even just an economic war, cell phone production for almost all cell phones would cease. So if this happened, it would only take a day or two for new cell phones to vanish from store shelves around the world as people race to replace old phones before it's too late. Then expect the price for new phones to jump into the thousands or maybe even tens of thousands of dollars. People are addicted to their phones and they will pay any price to stay connected. So every time a phone gets dropped, people will pay whatever it takes to replace it. The days when you could buy a brand new smartphone for less than $1,000 will seem like a golden era to people living through an economic war between China and Taiwan. I hope China and Taiwan continue to get along, but we must face the world as it is, not as we want it to be. And currently, both countries are preparing for war. And I'll have links to news articles that will tell you about this. But chances are, you already know. This is not a secret. (laughs) But I don't think anyone's thought through the impact (laughs) economically and the supply chain impact of what even just an economic spat would look like. Speaking of uh, economic spats, there would also be a laptop shortage. So what's true for phones is also true, but to a lesser extent for computers. Most computer chips are also created In Taiwan. And most computers are assembled in China. So the really expensive microprocessors are made by semiconductor fabrication plants in Taiwan. And then they're shipped across the South China Sea to China, where they're put into motherboards and computers. And I will say the numbers are less extreme for laptops, and I'll explain why in a second. But if you're an Apple person, Apple is particularly exposed. 90% of Apple products are made in China, and 100% of their laptops are assembled in China. And guess who makes the new Apple Silicon M1 and M2 chips? TSMC in Taiwan. They're the only company in the world capable of making a chip that fast. And guess what TSMC also makes? That's right, the A-series chips that go into the iPhone and iPad. TSMC is several years ahead of every other fab in the world. They have the most exacting standards, and they make the very best chips. And there's only one TSMC, and it's in Taiwan, right? The T in TSMC stands for Taiwan. Now, I will say TSMC is actually starting to build factories in other countries. They're building one here in the United States, but it's not built yet, and it won't be built for years or won't be finished for years. One difference, though, between phones and computers is Intel Corporation, (laughs) our local company, at least they have a lot of offices here in Austin. Intel makes computer chips, and they do most of their manufacturing here in the United States, and they've fully left China back in 2021. They've pulled out completely from China. So an economic war between Taiwan and China would be very good for Intel as it steps in to fill the gap. So Intel's a big player in computer chips. They make laptop chips, server chips, desktop chips. They're not a big player in cell phone chips. So just realize they've wanted to be, they've tried, but they have not been able to compete on highly energy efficient chips. They're a couple of years behind in terms of their nanometer process from TSMC and the other competitors. That's why Apple switched away from Intel to TSMC to source their Apple Silicon chips. But who knows? If there is a war and if it's bad enough, Apple might switch back to using Intel if it's the only kind of chip they can get. There would also be a Kindle shortage. So I checked the supply chain for the Amazon Kindle. I did so much supply chain research (laughs) for this episode. The Kindle Paperwhite and the Kindle Fire both use the ARM chip, which is made by, you guessed it, TSMC in Taiwan, and both are assembled in China. While demand for e-readers is much lower, the supply chain is just as fragile. And so what would affect phones would also affect e-readers. So expect e-readers to go out of stock and stay out of stock. And I don't think anyone would race to make e-readers. So in the event of an economic war between China and Taiwan, Kindles and other e-readers may just stay out of stock for years. And so keep that in mind that the e-book-dependent authors may struggle to find readers. People's Kindles will continue to work, the ones they own, but if they you know, break theirs or if it dies, they won't be able to replace it. So I also did some research on the impacts on paper and book printing for traditional paper books. So popular traditionally printed books are often printed in China. This is part of the reason for the delay in traditionally printed books, but a lot of traditionally printed books are also printed domestically. Indie books, on the other hand, are exclusively printed in the local country. And this is true regardless of the country. So if you order an indie book from the UK, most likely it's printed in a warehouse there in the UK. If you order one in Australia, it's printed in Australia. It's it's printed on demand and pretty close to the customer. And so indie authors are far less exposed to supply chain disruptions than traditionally published authors. But they're still impacted potentially because China is the number one source of pulp and paper in the world. If you live in the U.S., though, the United States is number two. And so at this point, it gets down to like specialization. So China specializes in certain kinds of paper. So Bible paper, for instance, is mostly made in China, while the U.S. focuses more on making cardboard. Those The paper for those billions of Amazon boxes has to come from somewhere. (laughs) We make it from our renewable forests here in the United States. So the United States is a net exporter of pulp. We make more pulp than we need, and we make more wood than we need. So if trade is disrupted, domestic, American pulp and paper production would be relatively unaffected. In fact, depending on the impact of trade, we may have surplus pulp and paper that we're unable to get to our trading partners around the world. China, on the other hand, is a net importer of wood chips. So wood chips are a component of pulp. So they don't have enough forests so or they don't harvest their forests fast enough to supply their paper demand. So they source wood from Vietnam and Australia primarily. They do not source significant timber pulp from Taiwan. I, I really looked into this because the center of Taiwan is a mountainous forest and so I was like, oh no, <laughs> would an economic war between Taiwan and China trigger a pulp shortage or a paper shortage in China? And as far as I can tell, that's not the case. Taiwan does produce its own pulp and paper, but they seem to only use it domestically. Now, I will say, if they went to war with each other, even just an economic war, the United States might respond with sanctions or tariffs on Chinese paper or Chinese books. In fact, we've already added, just in the last few years, a 7.5% tariff on Chinese printed books. And the war hasn't even started yet. Chinese printed books used to be duty-free. In fact, some of the articles you'll find, like for indie authors, they're like, you know, books made in China are duty-free. And if you look at the dates, 2013, it was true in 2013, but it's not true in 2023. The tariff was 15%. The tariff has dropped to 7.5%. And certain kinds of books were excluded. So, Bibles, for instance, were excluded because China's got a big corner on the Bible market, because that really thin Bible paper, they're like the only ones almost that make that specialty paper. I seek three potentials as we we're trying to navigate this, right? The future is uncertain, or as Yoda like to say, uncertain the future is. I should point out that the tech supply chain disruptions would happen regardless of if the United States or any other country joined the war. Remember, when it comes to making electronics, Taiwan and China are married, and it's their divorce that's what causes the problem. It's not anyone else. No one else can solve this. The chips are only made in Taiwan, and they're primarily assembled in China. And you can't just overnight start assembling millions and millions of phones somewhere else. Even Samsung, which is primarily based in Korea, they do a lot of their assembly in China as well. So Samsung actually does have like the other part of, you know, the 10% of high-end chips that aren't made in Taiwan. They're made by Samsung in Korea, but Samsung all sometimes ships those <laughs> chips to China to for them to be assembled. Okay, so potential one is China and Taiwan continue to get along. This is the Best case scenario, the status quo is protected, and you continue being able to buy phones and laptops and e-readers, and they're in stock and reasonably priced. Potential, two is a war between China, Taiwan, and USA and the U.S.'s allies. So in 1943, you couldn't buy a new Ford. Why? Because the Ford factories were converted into tank factories and planes and all the rest of it. There were no new Fords to buy. So if you wrecked your car in 1943, you had to hope you could find a used car to replace it. If Taiwan and China go to war and the United States join the war, expect U.S. chip makers to be making smart bombs rather than smartphones. So this is, in terms of supply chains, the absolute worst case scenario. So the real question is, you know, how likely is it? And it's hard to say. Historically, Americans are hesitant to enter great power conflicts. Going to war with a small country like Vietnam or Iraq is one thing, but going to war with a major power is another. And when Americans do jump into great power conflicts, they tend to sit on the sidelines for a few years first. And we see this in World War I, World War II. America sat on the sidelines for years before joining the war. We even see this with the Napoleonic Wars. Napoleon had to fight alone for years before the United States joined in. His war started in 1803. We didn't join until what we call the War of 1812. (laughs) We were happy to fund Napoleon, right? We gave him money. We bought the Louisiana Purchase, and we were happy to fund the British with Lend-Lease. So we're very happy to send money and bullets, but we're very hesitant to send American soldiers. So if Ukraine or Taiwan would want help under this kind of historical model, they'd have to be willing to fight for several years alone before we would consider sending troops. That said, every time President Biden has been asked if we would join a war with China and Taiwan, he has said that we would. He's been asked two or three times each time he said, yes, we will defend Taiwan. And each time someone in the White House has walked back the president's statement. So this is a strange pattern. It's potentially it's on purpose ambiguity or perhaps it's unintentional ambiguity. (laughs) So whether we would join the war depends on if you think Biden's telling the truth and if you think he's calling the shots regarding foreign policy. But really, no American president can pull the country into a great power war without popular support. Both President Roosevelt and President Wilson wanted to join the world wars sooner, but they lacked the necessary popular support and had to wait for a casus belli. And if you don't know what a casus belli is, I'll link to a Wikipedia article on it. A lot of links, a lot of work cited for this episode. So the future is unclear. But what is clear is that war between China and the United States is the absolute worst case scenario. There's just no positives. It's to be avoided. If I were Tim Cook running Apple, I would create an embassy and have diplomacy trying to keep a war from happening. And I would fund it, right? $50 million, $100 million, that's pocket change compared to the billions Apple would lose if China and Taiwan were to get into an economic spat, right? There's... It's just for Apple particularly, but also many of the other tech companies. You know, I'm I'm singling out Apple because that's what I use and because they're just so exposed. But really, most tech companies combine Taiwanese and Chinese labor to make the products that they design. So let's talk about potential number three, and it's an economic war between China and Taiwan. So this is a kind of cold war that shuts down economic cooperation, but falls short of exchanging bullets. And this would cease global smartphone production and mostly cease global laptop production. But since the United States isn't taking over electronics factories to make smart bombs, we could potentially ramp up our own domestic smartphone production. We'd be starting almost from scratch because we don't really make phones here and we haven't made computers in a long time, but it could be done. It would probably take. Four, five, six years to get production even halfway decent. Because it takes a long time to build a factory that's capable of assembling cell phones. And it takes a long time to train the factory workers to make the cell phones. Because you have to have the equipment to make the cell phones, but you have to have the equipment that makes that equipment. And you have to have the equipment that makes that equipment. Like it, once you get into the weeds, it gets really complicated. And, you know, I live in the town that would be doing it, right? Austin is. One of the top semiconductor cities in the United States, right? Samsung has a fab here, as and, and a lot of my friends' dads worked at Intel, and now my friends work at Intel and AMD and, and the rest of them. There's only one smartphone that's currently assembled in the United States, and the manufacturer is already experiencing long delays sourcing parts. And this is without the war even starting. And I think this is very telling. So of the three potential outcomes, I see this one is the most likely. Uh, China really wants to control Taiwan and for domestic reasons, kind of needs an external war to get the people to stop being so unhappy with the government. But they really don't want to go to war with the United States military because the U.S. military is really scary. We take it for granted here how scary the U.S. military is. Let me give you an idea. One American aircraft carrier can hold over 75 airplanes. If even one American aircraft carrier were its own country, it would be the 50th largest air force in the world. Just floating, whatever. We always keep at least one aircraft carrier off the coast or in the area of Taiwan. Always. (laughs) And sometimes two or three. In fact, we have, if I'm not mistaken, one of the aircraft carriers is based out of Japan. So even when it goes home to refit or refuel, it's not going home very far. It's just in the neighborhood. If the United States Navy were its own nation, it would have the second largest air force in the world bigger than China. So China doesn't have the aircraft to confront even the United States Navy, even if the other branches weren't used. And so they really don't want to go to war with us. We're plenty scary. (laughs) The US Navy is, is very, very scary. So as long as they're convinced that a war with Taiwan is also a war with the United States, they should try to avoid war. And perhaps this is why. President Biden has, every time he's asked, said, oh, yes, we'll defend Taiwan because the expectation is is if China is convinced that we will, then they won't. But it only takes one misjudgment or one misunderstanding to trigger a war. Not that China would do anything, you know, to provoke the Americans, like floating a spy balloon over nuclear launch sites right before a major diplomatic meeting. (laughs) So um, anyway, pray for peace. And uh, hope for peace. So bottom line is, in the event of a war, people are going to want to read books. They're going to need to read books. And the United States has the ability to continue producing paper books with domestic sources of pulp and paper. So people's ability to read books and read new books will not go away. The authors who will be the best positioned to thrive in this new potential future will be the authors with relatively new computers that will continue to work in the midst of massive electronic supply chain disruptions. The authors who will struggle will be the ones currently squeezing out the last few months of life from that half-dead laptop or that phone with a cracked screen. So if you don't think your phone or your laptop will last another five years, you might consider upgrading now while the prices are cheap. And I'll say this is what we've done. My wife and I just got new phones and I upgraded my computers last year. I wanted to make the switch to Apple Silicon, the newer Apple Silicon, while well, it was still possible. Right? Because if Apple has to switch back to Intel, I don't want to downgrade because the Apple Silicon is way faster. You know, Intel is behind. And kind of on an aside, you can... See how likely the stock market thinks this war is by Intel's stock price, because Intel would be such a big winner in the event of a war, and Intel's stock has really struggled. So Wall Street doesn't think the war is going to happen, but Wall Street doesn't know the future. (laughs) But uh, Wall Street does have really good sources of information, because Wall Street is the kind of collective knowledge of thousands or millions of investors collectively. So anyway, I upgraded all of my gear and I kept some of the old gear around because I want to be able to continue producing this podcast for years to come, even if I can't buy new computer equipment, right? We've, we take it for granted that you can always just get newer electronics that they're always available and they're always better. And those assumptions are based off of the presumption that Taiwan and China work together to make the electronics better and cheaper. And if they're not working together to make the electronics better and cheaper, the electronics may get worse and way, way more expensive and harder to find. There's always wars and rumors of wars. You know, it pays to prepare, but it doesn't pay to worry. And as Jesus once said, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And if worry can't accomplish a little thing like that, what's the use of worrying over bigger things? So don't worry about the war. It's not going to do you any good. So buy a new computer or a new phone if you need to, and then get back to work. (laughs) Your book is not going to write itself. And it may be that your book is just what people need in the years to come. Hopefully, nothing changes. And all you did was upgrade a little bit sooner than you needed to. If you want to connect with other authors or discuss this episode, if you disagree with my geopolitical analysis, I'd actually genuinely want to hear it. I love talking geopolitics. Remember, I used to host a radio show that was nothing but this. So while I do this once a year on this podcast, I used to do it every day. So if you're feeling lonely, do come to authormedia.social. That's www.authormedia.social. We have a whole community Of authors. And we talk and help each other out about craft and marketing and publishing. And I imagine the comments under this episode will be geopolitically related. So authormedia.com is where this podcast lives. It's where the show notes are. Authormedia.social is a separate website that is where the community lives. They have links to each other, but they are separate websites. And the cost of authormedia.social is free. You just have to figure out how to log in to your account. <laughs> so as long as you can do that, pass that simple test, you are eligible to be a member of the community at authormedia.social. Our featured patron today is Jonathan Schruger, author of Shades of Black and Darkness Cast. A young swordsman desperate to save his people turns to the only instructor he can find, the bitter champion of the everlasting dark. They know light best who first knew the dark. Jonathan, thank you for your support, not just as a patron for many years, but also as an active member of the community on AuthorMedia.Social. Many of you have seen his often Marine Corps-related posts (laughs) because he's a very proud Marine. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of AuthorMedia. The audio engineering of this episode is by William Umstadt, and the blog post is crafted by Shauna Lettler. To read that blog post version, visit authormedia.com slash 359. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. saying live long, prosper, and don't worry. It's not going to do you any good.